So I have um, three daughters, uh, nine, four. My nine-year-old's waving at me over there. Hello. Nine, four, and two. Um, Haley is my middle child, and she is four years old, a ball of wild energy and sass. I don't know where she gets that from. Uh, But we were driving downtown the other day, and we went under one of those covered bridges that had a lot of graffiti on it. And she exclaimed, oh, we must be in China. (laughs) I'm not really sure why graffiti bridges in China connected in her mind, but I said, no, just downtown. Uh, but then we passed this big cathedral. We, uh, Joel and I, we kind of live out in the county, and so um, when we get into taller buildings, they know that we're, you know, we're not in Wattsburg anymore. So uh, we were driving um, downtown, and there was a big cathedral, one of those beautiful cathedrals, and there was a cross on the top. And she got really excited, and she said, Mom, that place has a cross on top. They must know about Jesus. <laughs> And I said, you know, Haley, you're right, because the cross associates us with Christ. That the cross is what reminds us of the climax of the story in the scripture. And I was so excited to share the word this morning because we've been talking about 10 images that sort of tell the whole story of the scripture from start to finish. And uh, the last two weeks, Pastor Jim shared, um, and so we've gone through six images. If you've missed some of it, you can catch it online. Um, on the podcast, but today is images seven and eight. Um, But the cross of Jesus is the foundational image to the Christian faith. The the cross of Jesus is arguably the most important image that we'll talk about. And and the reason why is because the cross is foundational. If if the cross isn't central to our faith, then then we really have things off kilter. Um, The image of the cross is important because It reveals the character of God. Um, The act of sending his son to die on the cross shows his deep love for us. It it shows uh, his love for sinners, but it also shows his perfect justice. God is perfectly loving and perfectly just. The cross of Christ expresses the deepest grace while simultaneously confronting the deepest sin. I'm sure you've heard this before, but The cross is what says God loves you so much that he'll come and and he died for you, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. That he he extends his grace, but in the same way, he has to confront the sin. The cross is central to our faith because it is a place where all the wounds of sin are healed. You've probably recognized that verse in Isaiah that says by his wounds were healed. And and what that means is if if you suffer from emotional problems, guilt, anxiety, depression, anger, whatever, there's healing in the cross of Christ. That by his wounds, we are healed. That is, that is why it's, it's central. If you're going through a tragedy or suffering, there's comfort as you think about how Jesus suffered on the cross for you and for me, that you're not alone, that Jesus suffered too, all, everything. He, he, he understood all that we deal with and he suffered, even to the point of death on a cross. Keeping the cross of Christ central also protects us from the, the winds of false doctrine that, that blow around them. You know, the cross of Christ is a non-negotiable in our theology. It is a non-negotiable at our church. It's a non-negotiable in our theology. It happened. It was a real, actual event, and it had real and actual ramifications. 
It, it, it set things in motion for our redemption story that if it didn't happen, we would not be where we are today. It isn't a story or something good to talk about. It isn't to, to glorify the hero of Jesus. It actually happened. It was an actual event. And you know the enemy hates the cross because it sealed his doom. And so he is relentless in his attacks to undermine and thwart the cross. Uh, every cult or every false teaching in some way diminishes the work of, of, of Christ on the cross. And so if you hold central to the cross of Jesus Christ, you will be able to uh, understand what's false, what, what, what theologies, what things are false, because the cross of Christ is a non-negotiable. And the images and the descriptions of the cross of Jesus uh, reverberate through the entire Old and New, and New Testaments. Um, in fact, the scripture starts with a prophecy of the cross. In Genesis 3.15, I want to read it to you. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So according to this verse, there will be enmity between the individual woman, between Eve, and the serpent who deceived her. But the serpent, it says, um, God promised that eventually the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. The serpent would bruise the woman. It would hurt. The sin would be in her life. But it says the seed of the woman would bruise, or the scripture originally says crush, the head of the serpent. And it will be a fatal blow. And that is a foreshadowing of the cross. The ultimate seed of the woman is Jesus himself. And, and therefore, we have in Genesis 3.15 the first promise of a redeemer. The, the first promise of the cross. Right off the bat. Now, we didn't know it until we saw the whole story. But all throughout the scripture, the cross comes up. Um, in the past few weeks, you've been hearing about uh, the law of Moses in the, in the Passover lamb and the continual shedding of blood in the tabernacle and the temple and the anointing. And all of these were emblems of Christ crucified. They were all leading up to the climax moment of this story. And even uh, we see at the end of the scripture in Revelation, um, in the vision of heaven, at the very end of the scripture, it says, in the midst of the throne and of the four, there were four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. So even in the midst of heavenly glory, there is this image of Christ crucified. It is, it is so important for us to see that and, and to watch that happen. And so the cross is woven all throughout scripture, begins scripture, ends scripture. And my sweet four-year-old middle child is right. <laughs> That if there's a cross on a building or on your vehicle or around your neck, it associates you with the saving power of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we will be a community of people that can explain that to others. That it doesn't just become a pretty piece of jewelry or something that we put on a bumper sticker on our car, but when people drive by your first assembly and see the cross, that we as people who come here can explain that that is the central part of our theology and is the saving grace of the Redeemer who has come to rescue us. I want to turn our attention um, to 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25. And Peter is actually describing the cross to a group of people 
uh, who are Christ followers, but they're living in a pagan society. And so they have a lot of obstacles. And so he's describing the cross to them. So uh, follow along with me on the screen. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Leave that up there for just a minute. Where you see the um, quotation marks is because Peter is quoting the Old Testament. Peter's saying, look, the cross of Christ was here then too. You just didn't see it. You, you, just, you just didn't understand it. But look, I'm pulling this out because in the Old Testament, all the scripture that you know now applies to what we're watching, what we're seeing right now with Jesus. And so he's describing this to these people. And in this passage, we see that through Christ's death on the cross, that those who turn to him are delivered from both the penalty and the power of sin. The penalty and the power of sin. And those are the two things I want to focus on this morning. That the cross of Christ delivers us from the penalty and the power of sin. The cross of Christ goes toe-to-toe with the penalty and the power of sin. And the cross of Christ always wins, is undefeated, and and always comes out in victory. You know, I feel all our problems stem from sin. I mean, if you think about it, whether it's our sin, our own stupid decisions, uh, the sin of someone else that is against us, that that is hurting us, a sinful reaction to to someone, that to something that someone did, uh, or just the idea that sin has made this world a fallen place, And so we have to deal with things. Um, We have to deal with sickness and illness and and difficulties at times uh, because we live in a fallen world. But sin is really the root of all of our problems. And since all our problems stem from sin, then all our solutions can center around the cross. Since all our problems stem from sin, all of our solutions can center around the cross. The cross delivers us from the penalty and the power of sin. So I want to talk about those two things. Let's talk about penalty first. As I talked about right in the beginning, Jesus is perfectly just and perfectly holy. And the justice and the holiness of God um, cannot let sin live without consequence. So don't be confused. Forgiveness is offered. Our sin is washed away. We sang, uh, where your blood ran red, our sin was washed white. That is true. But it is not without penalty. We don't get the penalty. The penalty isn't come to us. But the penalty still exists. But we don't have to bear it. And Christ took the penalty on himself on the cross. And only a sinful human being could stand in the gap for all of humanity and and pay the price that we deserved. But the fact that God sent Jesus to bear our sins means that God does not just shrug off sin or take it lightly. It's not like when someone hurts you and you say, oh, no big deal. Oh, don't, don't worry about it. Like that, you know, you let it roll off your back. That's not what Jesus is saying when he's offering us forgiveness. He, he doesn't just overlook it or act like it's no big deal. The fair and just penalty must be paid because God is perfectly just. God is perfectly fair. And we talk a lot about how, thank God, we don't get what we deserve. Because if we did, we, we would be in trouble. But God is perfectly just. He's perfectly fair. 
There's a penalty for every sin that anyone commits. So if someone has hurt you or someone has hurt someone you love, there is penalty for that sin. It's not that God is just letting them off the hook. But at the cross, Jesus paid all of that penalty. At the cross, Jesus took all of those things that we deserve or that others deserve. And the scripture says that this freedom from penalty, when we just kind of shrug off sin and say, well, thanks God for forgiving me. Oh, did it again. You know, when we kind of have that attitude, that we are, in some ways, could borderline abusing the grace of Jesus. What what it says is, the scripture says that the freedom from the penalty should not um, allow us to just do and live how we please, but it should turn us to pursue God more. It's not a free pass to continue in sin just knowing God will forgive us. Romans 6.1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's a rhetorical question. Should we go on sinning so grace may increase? That, that's, no, that, that's ridiculous. He's saying, think about that. The cross of Christ wipes away our penalty, but it costs something. In fact, it costs Jesus everything. And so we should not take lightly our sin. We can't just dismiss it flippantly. And so I think sometimes we can have sort of this lackadaisical attitude about uh, things that we sin against God, attitudes and, and thoughts and and, and um, actions, and, and, think, and even if someone forgives us, maybe we forget to ask the Lord, or if no one finds out, maybe we forget to come to God in that moment of, of asking for confession and forgiveness, and so we kind of live in that flippant capacity. But I think there's another danger, too, is we can't take the penalty for the sin that Jesus already took, either. So some of us live in this world of sort of, hey, well, there's freedom, there's grace, I can just do what I want, God will forgive me. But then some of us live in this world where we ourselves are constantly feeling guilt and shame and burden. I don't know what faith background you come from, but some faith backgrounds have... uh, make you feel a certain way that if you do a certain amount of things, that will allow you to have freedom. And so for a long time in my own life, I remember um, I would think to myself, if I did something kind of wrong, you know, just a little bit, uh, I feel bad for like an hour, and then I'm like, okay, good, that, you know, I feel like adequately feel bad about it, you know. And then if I did something maybe more significant, like I really hurt someone or, or I, I really, you know, broke a promise, I feel bad for like a day or two, and then I, then I felt okay to sort of let it go. And we sort of self-regulate that. Uh, if we have this guilt and shame, and some of us are err on that side, where our tendency spiritually is to carry around this guilt and this shame, and it just suffocates us. And quite honestly, that's not how God wants us to live either, because he paid the penalty for that. And so there's this balance that we have to have. And I believe that the tension and the balance really centers when our hearts can turn from guilty to grateful. When our hearts can turn from guilty to grateful. And we can have this moment where we can say, God, my sins are forgiven. I know that they're completely, uh, you you suffered on a cross and I don't have to carry that anymore. Um, But Father, help me not do that again because I'm so grateful that the penalty was paid. 
And we stand before the Lord and we, we sing that song that we did just a few minutes ago. God, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Like, thank you for the cross. And not just because it's a good song to sing, but because I realize the penalty that I would have had to pay if it wasn't for what you did. The cross can change guilty hearts into grateful hearts. So I believe to live within the, the scripture, we don't carry around the guilt. Don't, don't uh, have that kind of code of shame where you say, well, I really messed up my life. I really messed up everyone's life. I can't, I, I, I can't do anything for Christ now. No, no, that guilt is weighing you down. But also don't go say, I can do whatever I want because I know that Jesus is going to forgive me. Proactively thank Jesus for the cross all the time and ask for your guilty heart to be made grateful. And then we stand before God and say, Lord, I don't deserve it, but thank you for giving it to me. And what a position to be in. A position where we can continue to strive to be holy, but we have grace when we fall down. The cross breaks the penalty of sin. All right, second, the cross delivers us from the power of sin. The power of sin meets its match at the cross. Because the cross is the ultimate display of the power of God. Okay, so I love what God is communicating here. I love what God is communicating here. He is saying the most powerful moment of all of Jesus' life, the most powerful moment, wasn't when he was healing people. It wasn't when he was doing miracles. It wasn't when he was making blind men see and lame men walk. The most powerful moment of Jesus' life was when he was in extreme weakness, dependent upon his father, dying on the cross, his fleshly self. That is where the power of God is seen the most vividly. He's saying that this is where the power of God meets sin and it is crushed. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because it makes no sense that when Jesus, his hands are completely uh, on the cross, his feet, he can't move. He can't even get a drink of water. He, he's completely laid out. He has nothing to give, complete weakness. And God says, that's where my power is the most. And so when the Lord asks us to surrender to him and to give him our lives, we think that is weakness, then we can't control it. And God's saying, exactly, because when you control it, you mess it up <laughs> for yourself. But in our weakness, <laughs> we got one lone clapper. I like it. In our weakness, God said is when you're strong. And that's when the power of God is displayed. On the cross, it looks to those who are perishing that death trapped Jesus. It looks like Jesus lost and he could not save himself and he suffered and he was defeated. But like so many other examples in the scripture, things are not always as they seem because death didn't trap Jesus on the cross. Jesus trapped death on the cross. Jesus trapped death on the cross. And the power of darkness and of sin had seen its last day because without a crucifixion, there couldn't have been a resurrection. And, and three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. And 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death did not trap Jesus. Jesus was trapping death in his weakness. 
And Jesus was having this victorious moment when everyone thought that he was defeated and he was losing. But at the cross of Christ, we see the very power of God exploding. And the power of sin is something that can only be broken by death. The power of sin is something that can only be broken by death. I want to go back to 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So it says, He bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin. He did it so we can die to ourselves. And Paul teaches the same truth. You'll find it in Romans 6, Galatians 2, Colossians 3, lots of other places. There were, there were so many things I could pull this from. This is a, a theme throughout the whole New Testament. When Christ died, he who believe in him dies with him. We're identified with him in his death. And when he rises from the dead, we too can be raised to new life. And the power of sin over us is broken. And I believe that the cross is the very thing that gives us the ability to change. The cross gives us the ability to change. The cross is what can get us out of that sin habit you're stuck in. The cross is what can help you conquer your own selfish desires. A.W. Tozer is this great theologian. He put it this way. We have to do something about the cross. Once you understand it, once you really get it, you have to do something about the cross. And we can do one of two things, flee it or die upon it. Flee it or die upon it. But it takes death to break the power of sin, the death of Jesus who died on a cross for you, but also a death to yourself to receive what he did. And at that moment, we die uh, to the lie of sin. We, we die to the power of sin's deceit that tries to persuade us that there's a better future in that sin than in the righteousness God offers if we could just get our mind around the fact that God is good all the time and the things that he's asking us to do are things that protect us and things that keep us, we, we won't try to break out of that. And I believe that at the moment uh, we die to ourselves, we take on what the scripture describes as, as hating your life in John 12, 25. It says, um, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. Now, it's not saying to, to hate your life. That's not what it's saying. It's bringing this contrast. It's trying to communicate this contrast that if you die to yourself, if you die to yourself and die to your selfish desires, then it doesn't matter much what happens to your life in this world. If you can really get to that position where you're not fighting for control and you're not fighting for things that you feel like you need or you want, you are in this position where you hate your life in this world and you'll keep it for eternal. So if men speak well of you, it doesn't really matter. If, if they hate you, it, it doesn't really matter. If they have a lot of, if you have a lot of stuff, it doesn't really matter. If you have a little bit of stuff, it, it doesn't really matter. If you're persecuted, if you're lied about, if you're, if you're called on the carpet for the things that, that you have said, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if you're famous or if you're unheard of. It, it doesn't matter because these things don't matter anymore if your entire life is subject to what Christ wants. If you're dead to yourself, what matters is your life eternal. And so you will invest in the things that invest eternally. And by dying to self and living in that mindset, the cross breaks the power of sin. 
You don't have to covet anymore. You don't have to be jealous anymore. You don't have to ignore your family and work too much anymore. You don't have to do those things because it doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter the things you accumulate because your whole life is completely subject to your eternal life. And so you make decisions differently and that power of sin, that draw to the world is broken. And as I was just preparing this, right now in this moment, I'm asking Jesus that as we get a clear view of the cross, as, as I hope I'm just focusing your binoculars a little bit, just helping you see it maybe a little differently than you've seen it before, that even in this moment, he's breaking off the power of sin. That all over the sanctuary, even just from your seat, that the power of sin is just being broken off, that, that the chains are falling that the penalty is paid, that the power is broken because the cross of Jesus has won. We just read it. Death, where is your sting? Sin, where is your power? The cross of Christ is victorious. And you don't have to live in that weakness anymore. You don't, you don't have to struggle with that sin. You don't have to be buried in that addiction. You don't have to live with that attitude anymore. You can be free of those things because of the cross of Christ. And so um, the second image I wanted to look at today is, is just a physical representation of the first, and it is of communion. And we're going to um, have communion again. Some of you are like, we're having communion every week. And I'm saying, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you to the ushers who are so willing to just roll with it. But here's the thing about communion. He, here's why we had to do it today. Because remember how I said that the cross turns guilt into gratefulness? That was like six minutes ago. So come on, you got to remember that, right? All right. The cross turns guilt into gratefulness. Okay, remember when I said that? Okay, I was excited about this. So communion, the Greek word for uh, thankful is a verb, eucharizomai, which is the English word for Eucharist. So communion, the word thankful in Greek is the word Eucharist that we use to describe communion. So that means that communion is about being thankful and grateful and remembering the cross. And remembering God's gift to the world. And if we remember that the cross breaks the penalty and the power of sin and our guilty hearts turn into grateful hearts, it will break the power of sin. And so what we're going to do in just a few minutes is we're going to have communion because it reminds us that on the cross, on the cross Christ paid the penalty. He broke the power of sin. And, and this is a physical, actual reminder that we can taste and eat and drink and do it together as a symbol and declaration of what the cross means. In fact, every time that you go to communion, you are personifying the cross. It is the broken body of Jesus and the, and the blood shed. Uh, uh, the juice is the blood shed for, by his son. So the ushers are going to, you guys can actually come on down and start distributing. And as they're doing that, in just a minute, I'm going to play this song for you. And, you know, this, this song has been on repeat for me. And so if you've been around me very much, you've probably heard it. But it talks about the reckless love of God. 
the reckless love of God. And this idea that God loves us so much that he would do anything. He'd climb a mountain. He'd light up a shadow. He would do anything possible to get to us because the cross of Christ can break the penalty and the power of sin. So go ahead. You can hold your elements, and we'll take them together at the end, and you can distribute. Let's play this video.
come before you this morning and we <laughs> accept, Lord, we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But God, we know that you have done everything possible to reconcile us to you. And Lord, today we hold in our hands the cup and the bread. And these are two symbols of what happened on the cross. And Lord, we just declare that on the cross, the penalty of our sin was paid in full and the power of sin was completely broken. So in a moment when we take these elements, God, I am praying that all across this sanctuary, God, in everyone's heart, that, that if there's guilt, Lord, that it would just be let go like a balloon into the air, Lord. That our hearts would become grateful and not heavy anymore. And God, where there's places where we have been sinning and, and, and just not even uh, thinking about the penalty and the way that it has hurt you, I pray for a conviction to come even now, Father. Not guilt, not something that shames us, but a conviction that gives us a way and a plan to change. And I pray today that many phone calls and emails and text messages are sent to people across this room to say, hey, will you help me with this because I'm struggling and I want to do better. And God, I know that you honor that and you love that, Father, because you want us to be more like you because what you designed for our lives is the best possible thing, God. And so I pray today, Lord, that the power of sin would be broken as we take these elements. Lord, I pray that the things that we have been hanging on to, the habitual sins, the things that maybe even no one knows about, Lord, that you would break it off even now, even as we drink this juice in a minute, God, that the power of God that is displayed in the weakness on the cross, Lord, would do something inside of us. Lord, would change us, would change us into be different people, God. We don't want to just play church and come and, and sing songs, Lord, and hear about your word. We want to be different. And so, God, would you do something different in us today? God, as I pray, we just have this moment of community together. And Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can eat and drink the elements. I'll end with this, Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And we declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.